Welcome to Podcast on Fire on the final option and the case of the cold fish. It's the emergence of Stone Wong, a role Michael Wong would be associated with and uh, known for from this point in his career as he trains special duties unit cadets. And he also fights crimes and deals with drama at home. It's a cop soap opera, arriving in the form of 1994's The Final Option. Also, a Lantau Island set murder mystery is uh, up uh, up here for review, where a version of Stone Wong is sent to the island and is promptly made fun of. Michael Wong goes up against the fat Michael Chow in the case of the Coldfish from 1995. These are the chosen movies for episode 3 of our Michael Wong coverage, and we are going in total review nine movies throughout his long career and officially determine, because that's what we do in this series, whether Michael Wong is Wong or if Michael Wong is wrong. So it's one of those we're going to put statistics into the world, into the books, and whenever someone looks up <laughs> whether he's wrong or wrong, the stats are going to be there because we have provided it. So it's all definitive. It kind of works that way in the world. That's my understanding of it. My limited understanding of the world is that we set the stats, Phil, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ken. We, we do set uh, the, we set the standards for, for everybody else, and, and therefore... The picture in the dictionary will have Wong or Wong um, next to the statistics from this um, series, which um, I'm enjoying immensely. Mm-hmm. With uh, It's been action-tinted, and we're going to veer off a little bit from that, because uh, Michael wasn't tapped to do all action. He, was, um, he wasn't uh, tapped to do simply comedy, but um, it's this 90s run. It's one of those milestones where he found his role. And he's never been that much against it. The only thing he didn't like, as we talked of in the first episode, is that people tend to quote the line from first op- uh, final option, sorry, uh, that uh, he, that you shouldn't call me Guilo. But but it's one of those unfortunate, fortunate things of people being infatuated with movies and they latch on to lines, uh, cl- classic lines. So, uh, and, uh, and, and he is mixed. So uh, that's sort of his own fault, I suppose. Uh, but uh, he didn't say it in terms of like, I'll kick your ass if you say it one more time. But it's one of those things like, okay, I, I get it. And I don't particularly like to hear that term throughout my entire life, if that's okay. Uh, but uh, regardless that's literally kind of a classic line from a Hong Kong movie Uh, don't call me Guilo and there's a lot of lines to quote Phil because um, it's like a 90% English language performance in in the final option and it's very nice very nice to see so you can keep look look, all those people that you know want to segue into the movies there you go There's there's an ideal movie for you that combines both if you're having trouble with subtitles kids there you go. Here's a film for you. We can we can merge the two, and don't call me Guilo. Don't call me Ginger. That's uh, that's a quote from from my film. If they ever do one about me, he got all defensive. People like I'm, I'm going to state something right now. So you fucks better don't, don't call me Ginger. Like, okay, Phil, calm down. It's fine. We're all friends here. I was once a Ginger, but uh, so, yeah, yeah. There we go. Say. Hey, it's back in fashion now. It wasn't it wasn't particularly trendy when I was a kid. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, no, I'm telling you, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was something to be ridiculed. But now, oh, no, everybody wants to be ginger. Get, being into computer games, being into movies, and being ginger. 
there was the kiss of death socially in the 80s and 90s. Ticked all those boxes. <laughs> but I used to hang around with the cool kids, so I got away with it. Yeah. Well, well uh, you uh, and you emerged from it as a cool kid. And a better man for mm-hmm. the experience. And here we are talking Michael Wong movies. So yeah, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shut your mouths. We won. <laughs> and anyway, uh, we are going to continue uh, on with the show here. First of all, some contact information. This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. This is a little sub-series that we've simply dubbed Wong or Wrong. And you can find that on our site, podcastonfire.com, along with uh, all the other shows from the Podcast on Fire archives. You can find links to the sub series that we've done throughout the years the alan tam one the george lamb one on the website as well if you want to get uh, get to them through uh, through the tags and uh, and you can just search uh, search them on the site as well and we have other shows on korean cinema on japanese cinema and likes as well so um hope you find something that you like and um if you have any questions or feedback or if you want to share what you thought of a particular show or movie uh, let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com Hit us up over on social media for the same purposes to uh, talk uh, talk movies, uh, follow show updates and the like. So click the Facebook button at the top of our website to get to our page. Leave a like in support, but join the discussion group called Podcast on Fire Network uh, to find most of the uh, uh, chat and uh, back and forth between uh, the members and so forth. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter as well. Click the iTunes button to subscribe to our feed. And if you also inclined and if you're you're a kind person please leave a star rating and a written comment uh, but uh, even if you're an unkind person we would like an honest review nevertheless so uh, we we don't need five stars uh, we need honest constructive stuff damn it so um, uh, but people who have left reviews in writing on itunes have been very kind so thank you very much and uh, i write about a variety of hong kong and taiwanese uh, movies uh, this includes michael wong movies every now and again over at sogoodreviews.com and my tweets are available at sogoodreviews phil you are social media savvy and your website is savvy and uh, all of that stuff so you you have little hubs of interest that people might not know of so where can people find your site you can find us at uh, Eastern Film Fans. Um, you can you can Google it these days. You don't even have to put www. In fact, there are other search engines available as well. So, I only use uh, Alta Vista. Oh dear. Yes. <laughs> and my preferred browser is the, the Netscape Navigator. Is that what we do nowadays? Uh, pff, you know, you kids, you you use whatever you want, but you can find it anyway. I'm also on YouTube, uh, Twitter. Uh, Facebook and Instagram. So um, yeah, you can drop us a line. I'll um, drop some uh, interesting tidbits of information here, there, and everywhere. Some reviews and the latest trailers and and all that kind of good stuff. But um, yeah, um, track me down, say hi, and um, I'm friendly like that. Also, don't call me Ginger. He's friendly like that, as you can hear, <laughs> <laughs> and not offensive at all. Hey, hey, uh, unrelated. How goes the? Um... Uh, the book reading uh, that you spoke of the last episode. Uh, uh, you 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 bought a book that you can uh, hurt someone with. Oh God, no, Ken, Ken, I've I've made a fatal mistake. I, yes, I did. Now, ah, let me just let, ah. let's retract some statements from last episode. <laughs> yeah, let me go back to last episode. Yeah, so, uh, so Marco Siderman, the stories from the trenches, is and and, I, and I, it is roughly about seven hundred and something pages long, and, and it's massive. And then I made the fatal mistake. Well, I didn't. It was a, a pleasure. I also bought Life of Action by Mike Fury. Oh yeah, that just came out. Yeah, it's just come out. It just come out hardback. He signed it for me as well. 
it's a beautiful looking book i have to say it's uh fabulous it has everybody in from tony Jaa. it's got juju chan in there it's got dick armstrong it, 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 it's an interview book mainly or what's the sort of a deal with mike's uh, structure of life of action yeah interviews you know with the stars and and the action actors and actresses and stunt people of the day you know just interviews and searching back their background you know influences you know about the films you know gareth them there about the raid you know it's uh zoe bell about stunt work and stuff it's um it's a fabulous looking book you should you know everybody should grab a copy i'm going to do reviews for both on the site and got plenty of time to probably read both and they're big hunky chunky books um, but they're both highly recommended for me anyway. So there's a handy hint on on what you're going to see review-wise on the website. I got um, it's ages ago now. I haven't picked up it, uh, picked up and read it yet because um, I'm, I'm a slow reader. But uh, I, I um, uh, donated to I think it was an Indiegogo campaign for uh, they were going to do an expanded version of an already big book on the Italian filmmaker Lucio Fulci. And uh, it's a also a massive book, hardback, maybe 500 pages, small text, which means tons of info. And uh, they also did some special packaging, did a DVD with trailers. And uh, it, it's uh, bound in, uh, if you've seen the Lucio Fulci movie, uh, The Beyond, the, the sort of... Uh, doomsday book that speaks of the horrors that are kind of going to come into the world is, is the book of Abon. That's the sort of, uh, not slipcase cover, but the, uh, a deluxe cover around the actual hardback book that you get and get to have on your shelf. You, you get to have the book of Abon from the beyond. And uh, whenever I pick that up, it's going to be a slow read, but a pleasure to read because it's one of those deluxe books that is not only filled with great facts, but it just, you know, it, it just looks like luxurious to have and to uh, read read and all of that so um so, so yeah so i hear you and you can also kill someone with that book uh, exactly. yeah exactly i've got it i've got the uh the bruce exportation one um is due sometime again it was funded and again i put towards that so i i i, I buy my books i'm not you know i'm not um trying to get anything for free so i want to buy them i want to read them i want to review them and stuff so you know an honest reviews and stuff and um you know but they are something that that interests me as you say so you know and i'm all for supporting these people that want to put that media out there because you know lit something literally the material you hold in your hand and read and stuff people don't people can go online and stuff so you know these people need to be supported so you see something like go out and support them go out and support these people because they're trying to deliver something a passion that they've got um to you and if you've got an interest in that go and go and support those people and, and help them make their dreams come true and and you get a damn good read out of it at the same time so yeah
a little rundown of what's to come here, a little informative notice of uh, what's going to happen as we start this uh, episode. And we first start with the final option section. And uh, before the movie review, we talk uh, a little mixture of said cop soap opera drama genre of the 90s it was not extensive but it was there for a bit we talked uh, the film's director gordon chan for a bit then some notes on the reception of uh, the movie the final option by audiences and awards jurors because uh, this was nominated uh, we then review uh, the movie and uh, we play some music and then the part on the case of the cold fish follows uh, we'll provide some minor notes first on its director jamie look and we then conclude the episode uh, with our review of that film so here we go. The final option from 1994. No, you haven't missed previous parts or anything. This is the first part. There, there is a movie called The First Option, which is a prequel that came out later. But um, so it's not like, hey, where are all the other ones? Well, it's it's the only one so far. Uh, anyway, plot from Love HK Films review of this 1994 film. The film focuses on the Flying Tigers or SDU, Hong Kong's version of SWAT. Michael Wong is the leader, called Stone Wong, and Patrick Young and Chan Kwok Bong's characters are his rookies. The two must uh, make it in uh, the SDU uh, while their girlfriends worry about them at home. Then bad guys show up and the group must use their newly found skills and teamwork to save the day. Could, might as well have been Top Gun, you know? <laughs> no, 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 Ken, 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 no. I think you'll find that was proud and confident with Andy Lack. Mm-hmm. No, that was more That's like a classic movie. I like that yeah. movie. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Sorry. Yeah, I just love that movie. It's a movie that sort of furthers the, uh, the, the slight homoerotic tone of Top Gun. They bring that into the proud and confident <laughs> movie as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you talk about this, like, the starting that genre of movies. That was in, that was later, it was after this film. So again, it was kind of in that mold. It certainly was. I don't remember if it even concerned itself with, like, the um, private lives uh, that much. I, I remember a lot of cool violence because... Uh, uh, proud and confident uh, or proud and confidence dep- depending on the print or the cover you pick up uh, is a damn good uh, Andy Lauma we really enjoyed that one uh, as Love HK Film wrote in terms of the final option it kind of started a trend in the 90s of the cop soap opera as it deals in the lives of cops uh, their girlfriends and the drama that comes uh, with it and the prequel first option uh, would follow in 1996. Uh, you would have movies like uh, Dante Lamb's Option Zero and also Best of the Best from uh, director Andrew Lau. Koso, who wrote a review of a Love HK film, he, he doesn't claim it was a great cinematic movement or anything, but a, but a trend is a trend. Uh, nonetheless, it was there for a bit in the 90s. Uh, briefly on its um, director, Gordon Chan, who we all uh, know from a couple of uh, versatile movies, um, worked in versatile genres. And I, and I guess at points he was labeled as a go-to director for action, but really, the director born in 1960 started directing sync-sound modern comedies. Uh, he did uh, two movies uh, that were connected, uh, The Yuppie Fantasia and Brief Encounter in Shinjuku, uh, which were part of the same series, as I said, and its uh, star, Lawrence Cheng, actually brought that series back and directed it himself in uh, 2017 as The Yuppie Fantasia Free, uh, which is... Not a bad film to um, to. He followed it up in a quite a distinct way and even dramatic way. I quite like Yuppie Fantasia three. In terms of Gordon, he scored massive hits, directing Stephen Chow in Fight Back to School one and two. He also did uh, the sort sort of massive big budget King of Beggars, and has also received uh, and sustained critical acclaim for his uh, remake of the Bruce Lee movie Fist of Fury called Fist of Legend. And I wasn't around when that came out. I got the VHS whenever that came out, which might have been 96 97 in the uk but i've never heard people feel 
talk of the fact that he uh, he solid and soiled the memory of Fist of Fury. People yeah. seem to think that that was a good take on it because he he brought back a familiar story, but and he had new distinctive action that didn't just copy it. But what I remember from it, Phil, was it had a bit more nuance depicting the Japanese characters versus Fist of Fury. I think because people were screaming out for that kind of, well, certainly the people that love the genre and Jet Li was all of a sudden becoming this force um, that um, they saw Jet Li in this role and they, and they loved it immediately. And they didn't really take into or think it was belittling, you know, Bruce Lee's Fist of Fury. They actually put it in a separate box and said, this is a great Jet Li movie and what a great great film and they didn't put them side by side or even can i i didn't i was the same i didn't really compare because i was just watching it for jet lee at the time because you know you wanted to see everything that he was in he was another one of those that captures you and something like fist of legend and i have a still have a fondness for the other gordon chan the um, bodyguard from beijing um film but when he did uh fist of legend i mean he, he kicked that up a notch it was just like wow this is this is this is great this is you know. And and they didn't um, put a waifu spin on it, no. uh, just because that was the um, the height of its uh, sort of fame and trend. It was it had, it had grounded action because um, that's I suppose a tradition you need to maintain if you're ma- remaking Fist of Fury, and uh, do select wire assisted feats uh, just like Bruce did, of course, uh, because there are acrobatic stuff. Uh, there, there is acrobatic stuff in Fist of Fury. But, uh, but but yeah, he uh, got a uh, uh, got a nuanced performance out of Yasuaki Karate, and that wouldn't be the last time Gordon got a nuanced performance out of uh, Yasuaki Karate, as I'll uh, as I'll get to. Uh, the final option would launch uh, Michael Wong's most iconic role of Stone Wong, while Chan, along with uh, what clearly seemed like uh, many filmmakers, even though he was the one credited as the director, he put together Jackie Chan's uh, highly enjoyable but somewhat schizophrenic Thunderbolt in uh, 1995, because uh, that has racing and kung fu and bloody gunplay. <laughs> Michael Wong is in it. It seems like it's a Kirk Wong, Ringo Lam, Jackie Chan, Gordon Chan movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it was something different, wasn't it? I quite. I, yeah, it's one of those I need to revisit. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, I, I enjoyed it. Obviously, I watched everything with Jackie Chan inside. It is very enjoyable, but it's head-scratching, too, that they decided to feature so much in one. Not everything is great. The racing isn't that great. Uh, uh, Jackie's doubled a lot because he was still injured. But uh, when it switches to, like, bloody gunplay, and Michael Wong is at the forefront of that, which looks very good on him. It's like, who switched the movie, guys? Yeah. (laughs) Who spliced in, like... A Kirk Wong movie into this one. I like it though, so yeah, yeah. let's continue and wait till the kung fu starts again. Uh, so that's uh, that makes uh, Thunderbolt enjoyable. So, so do revisit it uh, because uh, it's an enjoyable time, even though um, it's uh, it's several movies in one. But hey, it's a Hong Kong movie, so there you go. And also, Jackie's one of Jackie's finest theme songs. Um, it's a it's a rousing number uh, that he did for Thunderbolt. So look it up. Gordon Chow won the Hong Kong Film Award for Best Director later in the 90s, along with uh, Dante Lam, because they co-directed it. Uh, 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 he also won a Best Picture Award, a Best Screenplay Award, and that was for 1998's 
Beast Cops, uh, a sort of cops triad corruption action drama starring Anthony Wong and Michael Wong, and it remains one of the most iconic Hong Kong films of uh, the late 90s, and uh, we're going to get to that in that coverage, I guarantee you that. Uh, Chan has, Gordon, has consistently stayed busy making Hong Kong films in, in the new millennium, including A1 and The Medallion, uh, but has, like uh, many Hong Kong filmmakers, transitioned to the mainland uh, to bring his experience to the market, uh, which included making the Chinese ghost story... Uh, uh, it wasn't Chinese ghost story, but it was a Chinese ghost story called Painted Skin, starring uh, Donnie Yen. And he also did a Wuxia film trilogy of a four, made between uh, 2012 and 2014. Yeah, I was ho- I was hoping they were going to do um, a fourth one of that film, but they didn't. But it's just a shame, really. Yeah, the f- uh, it's only the three. Yeah. Four, three. Four, four. Yeah. Is, is there another one? Apparently not. Okay, it's done. <laughs> So the, co- confusing old minds with uh, yeah. with numbers here. <laughs> Gordon's latest at the time recording, latest movie was uh, the Vincent Chow, Sammo Hung, Yasuaki Karata Battlefield epic God of War, which I quite liked, uh, mainly for a uh, worthy but short cameo and also fighting cameo at the same time from Sammo Hung. But uh, for me, Yasuaki Karata probably stole the movie acting-wise. Uh, such a solid veteran, and uh, he brought his acting presence to that movie. Um, so I really enjoyed that. That came to the UK. So uh, did you ever had a desire to look at God of War based on Samo and maybe Vin uh, Vincent? Yeah, I, I I did, and um, it's it's sitting on the shelf looking at me. And one day I will get round to watching it. It's a good little movie, even if it doesn't break through as an action epic. The 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 acting really stuck with me. Karata has uh, amassed his veteran presence. That not doesn't just include action, but he, he knows how to navigate the screen as an actor, and he really did in Fist of Legend too. But um, it's uh, it's only gotten better as he uh, as he he's grown older, and he still looks iconic and looks uh, you know dashing and uh, present, and uh, he's only becoming a better actor. And mainly, he acts in Japanese in this one. So I can't remember if it was sing sound Japanese, but he plays a Japanese character at the very least. So Gordon put him into that comfort too. Uh, to 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 ensure uh, like an acting it's solid. I I would definitely get round to to watching it. Um, I look forward to it. To be honest, yeah. D- that movie, Painted Skin, being a Donnie Yen fan, do you remember venturing into that? Or? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That, that again, you know, anything with Donnie Yen, I, I watched the time, and, and I remember it being enjoyable when I when I saw it. So you know, um, again, good and Chan had a certain you know, ring to him as a director anyway. And, you know, those directors you kind of gravitate towards and I'm going to just pretend the medallion never happened. But um, the majority, if you look at his filmography anyway. And and I I know it went through editing uh, woes, uh, the medallion, but what did it come off as literally a bad product in the end uh, i think so yeah i just don't think it. i don't know why it just didn't it and it was one of those again that yeah unfortunately it was like jackie's foray into you know back to kind of foreign films and away from the chinese films and he was producing good still good flicks at that time medallion again was just just poor it wasn't you know yeah i just it didn't work for whatever reason it maybe should have done and he didn't and it just yeah it wasn't something, you know. I think. Yeah, you you wonder some sometimes because um, there, there was a quite a hefty amount of deleted scenes on, on its DVD, and 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 I know, and I seem to remember it had editing woes that um, that someone stepped in and shortened it, exactly. and perhaps uh, took some valuable 
uh, scenes and footage out of it. So I don't know what the vision was or what it would have been, and maybe it, it probably would have been something different, and it became something else, perhaps, and it lost in translation. And that's the. And I've always said that you can, you know, the editor is in, you know, charge of the film and stuff can dis- destroy a film. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think one recently and stuff. I'm sure we watched and God, the editing was just awful. I said, God, they've destroyed that just on the the editing. Um, and you look for it, you know, and on a fight scene and stuff. The way, sorry, I'm breaking out a little bit. The way the Bourne films do that really quick, shaky cam, and, and they, they, they cut, they, you know, it's good, but it just doesn't, it's not like a Hong Kong style movie. You know, you can ruin a fight scene if you don't edit it well enough. And, and again, the same with a film in its entirety, if you edit the, you know, scenes out and stuff or make it into something that it wasn't envisaged at the start, then you, you turn it into something different um, and you lose that vision of, you know, what the director trying to, trying to capture so yeah it certainly wasn't devoid of talent uh, but, uh, but, God, but, no. but you never know uh, in the end uh, how, how it's going to turn out because they had uh, I forget the comedian's name now but I know they had Julian Sands in there Claire Falani yeah, and yeah. Uh, but it was oh, and Anthony Wong was in the W too so um, yeah. there was yeah, yeah a few and the stunt guys were in from the UK there was you know yeah Mark Strange was, was in it there, too, supporting yeah. that you know doing a grand job as they did at the time, um, it's a shame, you know, it didn't come off. But um, like I say, as a director, he's done some, you know, fantastic films and stuff. And um, it's a shame. And, and, you know, when you get put on a Stephen Chow movie in the night, there is a chance you're just there to sort of hold a ship together. You should let Stephen do his thing, which um, I, I think holds true for the Wong Jing movies that Stephen Chow did. I sense that Stephen Chow running the show, but... Uh, I'm sure in the early 90s, uh, Stephen wasn't, he, he wasn't as drawn to filmmaking as he became. So you still needed a director to sort of steer that ship. And I remember exactly, yeah. Fight Back to School 1 and 2 was a nice mixture of um, of action and comedy and his uh, silliness. And I think uh, they even shot, I mean, he always dubbed himself, but I think they, they, um, perhaps realize the value of uh, Stephen performing his comedy live for the second one because the uh, second one was uh, was live audio uh, sync sound uh, fight back to school and then the third one was uh, a completely unrelated one uh, directed by Wong Jing but uh, nevertheless uh, quite a fun one too so uh, solid free uh, movies and King of Beggars was um, at the time also like this technical achievement where they they mixed it in surround sound as well and uh, like to try to elevate the technical achievement while still maintaining the silliness of a Stephen Chow movie. So that's what they put Gordon in charge of to have something that he had not been in charge of before. Uh, a little bit of a battlefield epic movie too. It's a period movie, so it requires some technical advanced uh, stuff from costume and makeup and and set design. So uh, King of Beggars was a very impressive film. Um, uh, for its time, and I'm, I'm sure it still comes off as uh, big, impressive, and very, very silly. Uh, so back to final option. Uh, it grossed a little over 11 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office, which was lower numbers for the director. He had been a hit director with uh, you know 45 million Hong Kong dollar type of films where, when he was associated with Stephen Chow, Jet Li, Jackie Chan. But uh, the prequel uh, to the final option, the, the first option, actually made 17 million Hong Kong dollars. So there was an interest in the option movies, uh, maybe an increased interest in Stone Wong. So that's why people went again in 1996. Uh, so wielding the sword, the mighty sword of Stone Wong, 
made people go. Uh, the final option was nominated at the Hong Kong Film Awards in major categories, such as Best Director, Best New Performer, and Editing, but was beating in, beaten in the big categories by Wong Kar Wai's Shunking Express. And Wong Kar Wai actually had Ashes of Time up for awards uh, that it also claimed the same year, because if I remember correctly, Chunking Express was made during downtime on Ashes of Time. Uh, so they made a little movie while they were making Ashes of Time, and boom, both were nominated and won awards that year. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, but uh, it was a quite a varied field, uh, because uh, acting awards was given to Jordan Chan for the movie 20-something, and the Clifton co-drama I Have a Date with Spring was a recipient of multiple awards on the night as well. So um, it was not just uh, WKW's night, uh, but uh, a lot of people walked home happy. So... So, as for the movie review itself, uh, final option, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Phil for a brief opinion. Uh, we both watched it for the first time here, so we're going in uh, completely cold. Uh, I had no real perception of it myself, so so I'll, I'll share my uh, brief opinion in a, in a moment. But uh, what did you think of uh, the final option, Phil? I quite enjoyed it. It was it was it was light. It was fluffy. Is it fluffy? You know, I um, maybe we 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 get to. Uh, it comes over us and, and we, we get these like cardboard and everything else and stuff. But this was quite, it took me back to a time and I talked about proud and confident before and those kind of movies. And you're right. This is the kind of movie that started that genre. Uh, and I quite enjoyed it. So you get a lot of um, that build up and the, and the family and the training, the training goes on for like just, you know, half the film to be honest. Um, and then you get to the point and I quite enjoyed the character of Stone Wong. That's kind of, well, the name really, you know, the name, great. The, the name is an automatic Wong for me. Like I'm, I'm done. He's good. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> it's automatic Wong. Uh, but he's great. I love that. It's what a great name. What a great, you know, you could get a great series with that name. Um, and I enjoyed the movie for, you know, for, 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 for what it was. And there are, there is plenty of padding in there, shall we say, but Hey, as a as a film and as a genre, I can see why it's probably I would assume it's quite loved by the the Eastern community that loves those kind of films and stuff. And and I do, and I I enjoyed it. I have to say, I enjoyed it as a movie. I, I think I kind of agree. I mean, in retrospect, I mean, it, it doesn't make me develop a fascination with this genre because. Uh, it isn't making challenging or layered drama here because it's soap opera. It's really an apt term, cop soap opera. So in terms of the outside stuff, uh, outside of the training, the bonding and uh, the romantic lives, that's pretty weak. But the SDU training by Stone Wong is quite entertaining. And I think Michael shows comfort and charm in the role. Plus the select action has a dangerous tint to it without being this uh, stylistic uh, copy of John Woo or anything and, and, and nor does it elevate the art of the Hong Kong shootout but it, but it has a dangerous tint to it so it, it's fine but it's not a huge motivator to like gather all the cop soap opera movies uh, but I do want to see first option because I, I do want to see if they had some ambition for the Stone Wong backstory and, and yeah. it did make more money so who, who knows how it, uh, how it sort of comes out if they try to elevate the action for instance uh, maybe it's not a you know a, a training movie at all maybe it's a completely sort of a, uh, unrelated action piece uh, but uh, that was released in the uk the the prequel so we have a, an, an available uh, dvd of it so we're going to get to that at some point exactly and as you say so it's, a, it's a soap opera you're right it's a soap opera but as a soap opera you're right it does go actually i'd, I'd like to see more stone one and see where that takes me so just on that i have to go actually yeah i i quite enjoyed it because i want to see where that character goes 
Um, but does the entire movie work? Well, you know, let's let's break it down, I guess. The main thing that's new for us in this series, maybe new for some audiences, is that they will get to hear Michael. Uh, he obviously didn't dub himself for Legacy of Rage or Royal Warriors, uh, spear, be, be known to and himself admitting that uh, his Cantonese is, uh, is limited. But we get to hear him in this one. This is a sync sound movie. And I, I remember early on in my in my movie viewing days, not knowing anything about Hong Kong movies, not knowing anything about the Cantonese language, but... So this flip-flop between Cantonese and English, I heard for the first time I was very fascinated by in a non-Michael Wong movie because there's a fair amount of it in Hard Boiled. As uh, Philip Chan, like, out, 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 this is a fucking order! <laughs> and, you know, amidst the post-dubbed Cantonese, I, I, I think I was always used to it. Um, uh, and it never bothered me when I first got to hear Michael uh, flip-flop between Cantonese and English, regardless if it was an SDU movie or not. You you have to put yourself, I guess, in the in the shoes of the producers and filmmakers. If they thought Michael's change of language was problematic, they would have kept him dubbed. They would have recorded his dialogue, and and uh, you know, in any movie. And I think some makers understood his image. They perhaps understood his limitations. You don't put him into a uh, you know a Tony Lung role. For dramatic, uh, to, for the nuanced, layered dramatic acting, you know what I mean. They, 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 you know, there's a reason Wong Kar Wai probably didn't want to use him. <laughs> uh, so they, I, I think, especially from this movie onwards, probably they, they, they were aware of his image and tried to use him in a suitable way as an authoritarian. Maybe this was an experiment. How can we make him come off as an authoritarian? And I think. I did. I think he did find his comfort in this, uh, in a tough guy role who can also say the cool English training military lines lingo well and clear. So maybe I'm, I'm just theorizing here. Maybe Gordon saw this as an advantage to have someone who speaks English very well lead this youths and, uh, and execute the lingo that needs to be executed uh, but uh, it, it certainly I mean I'm, I'm, I'm stating my sort of preference for that I think this is a good role for him but uh, it, it is a little bit of, uh, of the elephant in the room his uh, flip-flop between English and Cantonese so I guess are, are you comfortable with that or do you and do you sense he shows comfort in in the role I think as an actor as well at that period of time it would be comfortable for him that he can say those things in english and and put that across and stuff with you know with his limited um cantonese and, and obviously just trying to bring that up to speed therefore he can he can be confident in what he's saying I, you know I, I i did see maybe you know we'll come on to the next movie there was occasions where he was speaking cantonese where i don't think he was certain he was saying things correctly and God, God forbid I should ever try and pronounce anything. But, you know, you can imagine from a comfort point of view, if you can be comfortable with your dialogue, then you can be comfortable with your acting. If you're not comfortable with your dialogue, then that's going to have a detrimental effect upon your acting to a certain extent, my opinion. So, Because I don't know how it, if it's realistic if uh, an SDU uh, grill sergeant, blah, 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 should speak English that much. I don't know anything about that, but it's, it's certainly not... Uh, the, the, the cadets understand him so it's not like they what did he say we don't know what to do and and and, and he certainly isn't all the army a la full metal jacket he uh they, they channel his charm <laughs> a little bit more you know what i mean so <laughs> to, to be honest in a lot of the training scene, you don't even see michael he just leaves it to the other people and stuff and they're you know they're, they're jumping off bridges and stuff there's no michael to be found at all he's just 
he's obviously too busy doing other things and stuff. So he just comes in at kind of periods to shout at them. And even that isn't really, as you say, not in a full metal jacket kind of way, put them side by side. He's not that, but he has an authoritative, you know, he's believable in the character. And that's what it's all about when you're kind of like, you're looking at it. So, yeah. We are also introduced, of course, to the 20 something cops initially. Um, They, they, they place a little, um, little hint there that uh, they're young and they, they're not that respected by the community as they have the little, little cafe scene there and uh, then the movie needs to get the pace right when it springs into action and I think Phil, it does so decently as they run into the street shootout that takes place post the robbery and I like the sequence it has good loudness to it, it has quick brutal executions not by the police, but off the police. And it's shot in a casual way because it is casual. It is callous and therefore a lot more felt. It's not like this slow motion execution. Uh, one of the robbers just plain out shoots a cop that's by his squad car and then then goes on with his, uh, with, uh, his um, fleeing and all of that. It doesn't have many of these sequences and I, I didn't miss it necessarily, but, but I think it was impressive the way Gordon and his uh, action director, I believe that uh, Bruce Law is the only one credited, even though he's known for his um, vehicular action much more. It's a decent sort of edge to the movie, which could work well, Phil, with the cop soap opera drama because, you know, your life's on the line. And what is your loved one going to think? Exactly. Well, you need something to drive those characters, and he's got a little bit of grit to it, and I quite, I quite like, I, I liked it. Do you know what I mean? It, it was, like, again, more soap opera rather than, you know, as you say, you know, a hardball or a John Woo kind of movie. But it, it suited the it suited the style of the film as well, which is um which is a lot to be said for uh, Gordon, obviously from you know, for Bruce Law from an action point of view again um nails it. I mean it's not um I, I evoke Ringo and Kirk a little bit more when talking of sequences like this. You know, if you think of the uh, shootouts in a city on fire that, uh, fire that are very very gritty and uh, violent and uh, that contains uh, one of the most brutal executions on in a hong kong uh, hong kong movie where where danny lee well he accidentally shoots this cop in the head and you get this huge blood splatter on the wall and uh, it's, uh, it's it's gruesome and brutal and i think gordon and uh, bruce law they they uh, evoke that quite well for this uh, scene that does uh, the, that does uh, come with a price because uh, one of the characters that we met in the cafe dies at this point. So, um, well, you know, it, it, it was, he was peddling insurance at the time and stuff. I think you know Peter Young should have said yes at the beginning for that insurance, but hey, uh, <laughs> he did. Writing was on the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. God, you've never known. I hope he took his own insurance. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I'm sure people, you know, when we meet Stone Wong and he has his big speech, and I'm sure people would sense that this is not the comfortable act. It's the the, the sort of delivery seems stiff and what have you. But there is something here. Maybe I'm, I'm forgiving, but I, I'm I'm entirely tickled by the fact that he's called Stone Wong, and uh, they are gonna ro- run with this uh, fact that he's uh, he's gonna speak English throughout the movie, and then as a little cap to a big speech. You know, I was born here. I speak Cantonese. You can call me Sir. You can call me Stone, but never call me Guaylo. And maybe, I don't know, I find that delightful. It's a nice cap to his whole speech after, you know, he in his lovely light voice. You will hate me. I will discourage you from joining the unit. But, you know, he isn't that tyrant after all either. So it doesn't make sense for him to be an Ali Army type of sergeant. So 
I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it delightful that uh, Gordon just places so much on his shoulders, and it worked because people remembered this. They, they quote yeah. the movie and they remember him and maybe paid attention to him too. Like he speaks English well, and he says authoritarian things. Let's listen as an audience. <laughs> so the intro set the tone yeah. correctly for me, and by that point, Phil, it wasn't shaping up to be a deep nuanced movie anyway it's uh, an entertaining training movie and that was the uh, fuse for it and uh, it, it worked out fine in terms of that you know yeah i mean exactly because you get that at the beginning and the opening could mislead you into this is going to be some kind of a kind of hardcore revenge flick and stuff when he's kind of partner and friend obviously gets shot but it doesn't really go into the segue of this like training in this unit and obviously you've got a an understanding or a motivation, shall we say, to 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 get through it so we can be part of the SDU unit. But it, like I say, it, it, it ticks all the boxes from the the soap opera point of view and stuff. I just, I think we're going to come to, I think we need to come to it sooner or later. Whether Peter Young carries that role as well as somebody else might have done i'm not quite sure and does that elevate michael wong in his role because the acting probably you know if you put andy lamb in that role and stuff maybe you know we just would have acted him off the screen to some extent i mean you're right he michael isn't the lead actor but uh, no. he's his presence is definitely easier to latch on to versus Peter Jung's presence, and we, we certainly get to that. But, but but is it fun, too, to hear Michael do the whole sort of, like, you're all a bunch of Girl Scouts, there's a goddamn beauty salon here over here, like, uh, run 10K. It's fun, it's fun, and, you, and then you take that. Like you say, you know, when you look at this as, like, kind of soap opera film and stuff, you expect it to be, so therefore, you know, he's perfect in that role and that character, and you want to him because, you know, you know what you're going to get from him, and um, you, he's likeable. Um, the likable rogue kind of presence, and, and you're quite happy with the, his performance in that. So yeah, I think his best scene is when he uh, and, and I thought that this was uh, very charming when he does the push-up uh, drills. You know, tw- 27, 28, 27, yeah, 26, 25, yeah. and, he, and he turns to him and he smiles. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here. I think uh, Michael has developed a, a, a charm. To, yeah, his, uh, exactly. to his to uh, his presence uh, in movies here, so may- maybe not the most tough drill sergeant, uh, but he's not going to let them off uh, the the push up routines or whatever. So he's going to make them stay there. Twenty six, twenty two, <laughs> maybe twenty nine. Now let's do it over, and yeah. then he leaves a little smile and uh, drives away on his uh, motorbike, I suppose. <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> uh, I don't know. By the way. Uh, We'll get to Peter Young if uh, it's a sanctioned training exercise to uh, just have cadets jump off a bridge. Mm, possibly not. It lo- it looks dangerous, and the thing is, Phil, someone had to do, do quite a jump. Exactly, <laughs> a stunt man. I expect they do worse in the SAS, so uh, it's probably not far off the market stuff. But you're right; some poor stuntman had to do that. And um, God bless him for doing it because uh, it looks good. It looks good. It looks like they maybe lowered him a bit, but drop, but not that he was like two meters away from the water or anything. Uh, that, that's a that's a jump and half uh, into a, into a, hopefully a clean river or whatever, clean waters. <laughs> but okay, let's perhaps address uh, Peter Jung because uh, this is a new actor who's. Um, 
character has seen uh, someone die and he uh, wants to put his best foot forward and do well as an SDU officer, but also balance the, the sort of life of uh, being kind to a character and letting her into his life, but also dealing with jealousy and then perhaps not as much focus in the training as you should put forth. And Peter is not a terrific young actor or presence. Uh, and doesn't really get it done when combining his presence with action either. The story thread is valid enough that he wants to help Common Lee's uh, mm. character and uh, get the loan sharks off her tail and all of that. You know, a sincere enough guardian angel. But he, here was a casting choice that I think backfired on the makers uh, because he, he can't elevate the even simple soap opera um, tactics, not hysterics, but tactics. And he comes off as kind of a dull uh, character, which made you long for someone, I don't know, more to, more to relate to because he, he is flawed and he, he, his fo- focus uh, shifts. Um, and if anything, I liked his pal a lot more, the character that Chan Kwok Bong plays because he shows an elevated sense of focus when the going gets tough. At one point, uh, apparently Peter Young even forgets his gun before they launch into action and his pal brings it to him like I can't believe you forget your gun <laughs> uh, so, so I, I liked him better Chang Kwok Bong, Bong by the way you might not recognize him but he's, he plays uh, Buck Teeth So in Once Upon a Time in China and America oh, that's okay. it but obviously they put the teeth in there so um, yeah yeah obviously yeah, yeah. no like you're right he gave that quirky kind of um, character but he he took the most of that kind of that role and you know gave him something like say so when you go to Peter he just doesn't have the the chops to do any more or be um, varied in in what his, his performance so to speak. I've not seen him in anything else. I, I don't believe that I have, but I can imagine him in a kind of romantic kind of film or something. You know, kind of soft and you know. But if you've got a diverse kind of character as this is you've got to show those wide range emotions it doesn't quite come off um for peter but you know like i say it's 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 okay i mean i I don't i don't sense that you got the sense that this is building to be a world-class drama about the cops and their lives so you were it sounds like you were almost uh realigning your views to expect something standard but not uh, impactful as such so exactly so so the first third you kind of get that and you get that and if you understand that and um, again we're looking at michael one because we're judging his performance but obviously the rest of the the film's got to carry that or does he carry the film or not so once you realign to that um because it does sag somewhat in the middle there's lots you know the family and this and you kind of, again, you know, as it is, there's not an action scene in there. It kind of loses me a little bit because, and if it's not going to lose me, then you need someone to hold my attention. You need a, you need an Andy Lau or someone that can, you know, chew up the screen. And, 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 we and get it. it. You love and Andy Lau. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I should stop. Yeah, I should stop there. Loving, loving, loving uh, best for Andy Lau. But, you know, somebody... To just just to hold that screen and stuff. Did you give me that and stuff? And he and he can't do that. So the scenes where we haven't and we're outside of the training and outside of that and stuff and it's the relationship. It just just doesn't hold it for me. And you know I lose in there. But you're right. I've I come to terms with it by that period. You know the the halfway mark and I know that's going to happen. So I stick with it because ultimately I want to see what happens to the character. Ultimately I want to see what happens to Stone Wong as well. And that's 
you know, that's testament to Michael Wong's performance because he, you know, he crops up, but he isn't. He, Peter Young is, you know, the character in this um, story that we're following. So, you know, it, it does lose something. Yeah, and, and when the uh, uh, the Peter Young commonly connection isn't that uh, enthralling and mm. the, the actors don't don't have a particularly good uh, back and forth and chemistry either. I mean, she, she's a good actress, but, um, you know, you, you need to... When you pair up people, it needs to work. And in this case, it feels uh, uh, a bit distant, uh, to be honest. Um, when he is put into the action, Peter, I suppose he's fine. I mean, he can pull off the harder violent decently, but not terrifically so. But because w- when the action scenes hit, it's more of a technical showcase that I admire because uh, there's uh, the pace to it. And uh, when they talk of the tactics and the stunts mm. that come with it and they launch into action, go, go, go. That stuff is pretty decent. And I have a little slight suspicion that Gordon, because Gordon have been pals and also have had a working relationship with Dante Lam. And Dante Lam is actually in this movie. And he's also credited as planner. He, he has a little acting part. He's one of the cadets, I believe. And and Dante has confirmed, even though he started out as a quirky director, has confirmed that this area of staging and providing the pace to the action movie and the beat to the action movie and making it exciting is something he has not lost. Because when Dante transitioned to the mainland, in particular making uh, Operation Mekong and op- Operation Red Sea, to me, there, there was a director that has elevated his sense of what makes the action movie tick. How can we make it exciting? Make the audience just go, yes! Explosions! <laughs> God damn! Yeah. And I, I, I think he's maintained that. I, I love Operation Red Sea, and I was very pleasantly surprised by Operation Mekong as well. Uh, so there's a little uh, line to be drawn here from, um, from uh, this uh, option movie to obviously uh, Gordon and Dante directing Beast Cops uh, together, which wasn't an SDU movie as such. And then uh, they've transitioned both to the mainland in, in distinctive ways. And uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, I, I, we, we talked about it, but did, did you ever see both those Operation movies from Dante? Red Sea and Mekong? They were solid. I mean, Dante Lam had got a, a love for anyway because, you know, he can bring the action and he certainly does. So uh, a master of his craft. He can be exhausting. That's the thing with Red Sea that I love. It's two and a half hours off. And I've said this before. Get out, get out. It's going to yeah. go. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people in military uniforms screaming to each other. I just found it enthralling, man. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect if uh, if it was going to get me. And Red Sea certainly did. And Operation Mekong was very, very solid. It, it, I was worried when I watched it. Uh, when I saw Eddie Peng's character with his very silly hair and silly facial hair <laughs> and I was like oh my god what are they doing and then they do a Mission Impossible thing where it's actually fake hair and fake facial hair and he's uh, undercover and things like that so they, they uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on Eddie Peng as an actor just yet uh, I haven't seen his Wong Fei Hong movie but he did a movie called Duckweed where they put him in old age makeup and he still looks like young Eddie Peng it's in his contract. You can make me old, but you have to keep me young. Yeah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Just as a minor aside, did you buy Eddie Peng as uh, Wong Fei Hung in uh, Rise of the Legend? I didn't mind actually. It was okay. I quite, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I like, I like my action. So, um, am I sold on Eddie? I, I think so. I quite enjoy him. I, I quite like him. I have to say. So, um, I warm through him. Um, yeah, and he can, um, he can he certainly uh, shuffle a. Um, a kick or punch or two, so uh, yeah, it's quite good. 
And uh, as for just to round off my notes on final option, I think uh, it's uh, there's decent uh, danger for the finale as the bad guys outsmart the SDU. I like the little twist, uh, their tactic. And uh, even though the, the the main actor of the of the uh, of the thief guy is uh, an overacting uh, little uh, little youth, he's very young. I, I did find that amusing and um you know it, it adds a little fuel to the danger of the of the finale and uh, it's not like it ends on this dramatic crescendo where the tears flow or anything they, they try their best but it's I, I I would also realign my views that this is taking along nicely but it's not gonna it's not gonna be the uh, the action high point of the 90s uh, or anything but it's taking along nicely and Michael does. Uh, well, I mean, even in the in the van before the finale breaks out, uh, his cadets are appearing like they're bored. And Stone Wong and Michael has to sort of, this is the job. It is boring. <laughs> so we just have to wait. <laughs> Damn it. And uh, I don't know. I, I find that amusing. I find that entertaining. And Michael shows comfort in the role as, uh, as the, the authoritarian Stone Wong. And that's why I feel, feel that this is the role he was known for, but it's also a role that I find pleasurable. So, um, uh, you know, the, the thumbs up sort of mark. Uh, Wong for Wong, I suppose. Wong for Wong. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I think there was a big sigh of relief by the audience there. I think there was the, oh my God, if he says Wong, I'm going to kill him. Um, no, I, I think you're right, and the audience will probably agree um, that, you know, is is well suited for this role. You can understand. You want to see more of Stan Wong as well. The irony. I mean, as filmmakers show belief in him, I think he has a tendency to respond uh, decently too. And yeah, I think they, absolutely, this is a case where he does. For me, the second movie in this episode is a case where he also responds, but they they requires something different from him. Uh, but he but but he still responds uh, and understands his. Um, image in the cinema landscape uh, quite and well. i think this is where we're going to get to or we're going on that journey with michael wong aren't we all of a sudden if you've got a, a director or you know that uh, that believes in you then obviously you're gonna you know give that your all and, and come across and, and and be better and i think he's better for it because there's a belief and he's given something that you know he can do with with the sync sound as well and stuff. He can deliver the lines that with confidence, and I think the confidence grows in his performances. Um, certainly up to this point, what we're talking about. So yeah, definitely Wong. I enjoyed the um, uh, the ending of, of the film. Like I say, I, I, I come to that point where I knew it wasn't going to be this big sentimental thing, but there's enough there to to hold the viewer. And uh, yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's a Wong for me. In all honesty, because I, I you're right, I, I didn't think of um, Proud and Confident or Proud and Confidence when I watched this, but really seek that movie out. It does okay because it elevates its uh, its violence and the horrific effects of uh, losing comrades and, and getting bloody revenge uh, and revenge and all of that. That movie does it very well. It goes for the jugular a little bit more in terms of uh, violence. It's, um, it's, a, it's a damn fun Fun film uh, with uh, Andy Lau, uh, Mew Qy is one of his co-stars. Eddie Mayer is uh, one of the villains in it, so uh, and he's always fun to watch. So uh, uh, Dick Way too is in it, uh, f- f- flexing and wearing very tiny bathing trunks. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's been time since I've seen it. I think I've got it on um, VCD. It's just hard to track down photo confident. But, yeah, it's one of those. Um, I just remember it very, you know, powerful at the time and stuff watching it. It was, uh, it was great. So, and he just invoked that when I was watching kind of this series because it kind of the, that genre of film, that you know, that came out of kind of this kind of film and stuff. And I, I enjoyed this film for what it was and I enjoyed Michael's performance. Indeed. As for availability of this, uh, the final option, there are no other options moving forward. <laughs> there is only an option in, in the rearview mirror. Uh, this one is quite elusive. It, it was kept to VCD and Laserdisc, and I believe it, there was a very early DVD that was from a cinema print with burned in subtitles. Uh, but uh, the prequel, first option, if you want to watch that first or watch that after the final option that's readily available since it had a special edition from hong kong legends and i believe they got gordon in to do a director's commentary along with bay logan so uh, there's going to be some filmmaking details and hopefully some um, some notes on michael i know bay doesn't like michael very much he's uh he's uh from some shade uh, uh to on michael in other commentaries and things like oh, that my, so, and i'm sure michael <laughs> as we speak he's now laughing <laughs> at him <laughs> for completely different reasons anywho <laughs> Let's take a break and uh, just, uh, play some cheery music from The Case of the Cold Fish from 1995. This came out after the final option had uh, done its thing in terms of box office and uh, nominations. And uh, they're going to put uh, Michael in a variation, I suppose, of the Stone Wong character. But um, it's not required viewing, the final option, to understand the comedy of it all. That is the case of the cold fish from 1995 and uh, after the musical break we'll break down all uh, for you in terms of our opinions and all of that good stuff so sit tight and we'll be right back Welcome back, and this is the final review of this episode, and it's the movie The Case of the Cold Fish, starring Michael Wong. It's from 1995, and plot from the Love HK film review of the film, Michael Chow is the chief cop Dick Chow of Tayo, a small town on Lantau Island that moves at an absurdly slow pace. When a local man turns up dead, head cop Danny Lee, in a requisite cameo, he produced this movie as well, he sends in Chief Inspector Michael Chung, played by Michael Wong, to crack the case. What Michael gets is culture shock, as the dysfunctional locals baffle him with their hilariously skewed ways. First, they throw him in jail, and things only get worse after that. What Wong discovers is that nearly everyone wanted the murder victim dead, and cracking the case is going to take more than his SDU-hardened police methods. So they channel Stone Wong a little bit, but it's not a spin-off movie for Stone Wong or anything. Although I would have loved that notion. <laughs> a year after, he gets his own spin-off movie, and it's this. Yeah. So, um, and anyway, from producer Danny Lee comes this uh, quirky island set uh, murder mystery comedy shot on Lantau Island as well. As uh, Phil confirmed, it's not a fake location for it. It is shot on Lantau Island. It was also shot in sync sound and directed by uh, Jamie Look. 
he's an actor too uh, he's visible in Shaw Brothers in background roles uh, always uh, has a distinctive facial hair uh, probably has fighting cameos and roles too but I don't remember any specific ones from him uh, but he, he became a reliable walk-on character actor in the 80s and 90s but his part as director Phil is quite delightful because you could never pin Jamie down he is a veteran in the director's chair he's done uh, 26 films Ranging from mild street-level dramas such as King of Stanley Market with Richard M and Sylvia Chang. He did Supernatural Shenanigans in Doctor Vampire. And he also did, uh, in the same movie, both wacky and distressing category-free stuff. Uh, and that's for the movie Robo Tricks, starring Amy Yip. That was Jamie's movie. Uh, Hello, Who Is It? is a favorite of mine with Lao Ching Wan, which is a sort of a packed, modern-set ghost story, rape-revenge-flick-wacky-comedy thing. <laughs> it's everything. You don't hear that very often, do you? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, and and you can't really ignore titles such as Bomb Disposal Officer Baby Bomb <laughs> with Lao Ching Wan and Anthony Wong. I don't know, I probably could do. Uh but then again Anthony Wong, no, maybe not. I need to I need to check that one out. Bomb Disposal Officer Baby Bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I just I don't know, that entices me further now. Exactly. I bought it based on that. I had a VCD. I, I lost it at some point because I do want to rewatch it. It's not a director that seemingly sets the box office on fire though. And the case of the Coldfish merely made one point three million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. So it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't riding the high of Stone Wong from uh, from the year before and uh, people weren't flocking to this movie. Unfairly or not, let's let's find out. Uh, my short opinion, and it's very short for once, absolutely great comedy. It takes a pride in crafting its laughs in the character interactions, like their verbal back and forth, rather than uh, local dialogue-based comedy. Uh, it's global and situational, and lot not local, despite being a very local set movie. It's not even in uh, Hong Kong City. It's it's on an island, Lantau Island. Love this from whenever I watched it first, many years ago on DVD, still do. And uh, it's a dear favorite of mine that I wanted into this coverage. So that's my short opinion for now. Phil, what did you think of the case of the cold fish? <sighs> Are we going to fall out on this, Ken? Why not? I don't care. <laughs> you can't, you can't diminish my out? love for it. I, I don't think we are going to fall out. No, I, I actually, I actually really enjoyed this film. I, you know, I know I come from that. I love of action. And I no, like no, 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 no. Stop it. Stop it. Don't, di- don't diminish yourself. I'd like, I only like a certain set of movies. You, you <laughs> sat up to watch the Academy Awards for a Korea, for the sake of a Korean movie. And you <laughs> watch do. different movies. So I know I do. You're a versatile viewer and a connoisseur <laughs> of cinema. I am more diverse than I make out. That is true. And I did love it. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not always a fan of, of comedy, um, but I actually, re- I really enjoyed this. This is, a, it's a lovely, delightful movie. And it took me off my guard, like, off guard to a certain extent. I wasn't expecting it to be that would, way. Would you agree it's more in the verbal that uh, and in the banter that the humor comes out of exactly, which is just is just bizarre for me because a lot of the times and stuff I will say by my own admission I don't get some of the jokes and stuff because they're probably just uh, more regional jokes or you know uh, people may get them better than me. But for uh, to be yes, to the the rapport back and forth from a you know um, from a verbal point of view it, it was it was 
funny. You know, this isn't slapstick fall over, you know, Jackie Chan funny. This is, you know, comedic. The the script is on point and there's a decent little film that, you know, surrounds it as well. Um, so yeah, I was I was really pleasantly surprised, and yeah, I've got a lot of, got a lot of love for the film. Here's the key for it, though you, because I, I think it's a very focused, structured film in terms of how Jamie approached this. And one key is making everybody's strengths and weaknesses integral to the picture. You 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 cast correctly, and you find out what your performance performers. Are like and what they can bring because this movie relies so much on the on the sound and the pace and the flow and the timing of the banter and the timing of the dialogue so i think makers were they didn't come off as being unfamiliar with michael's sdu image it's almost like it got cemented quite quickly after the re- release and success of the final option because it they do make fun of his image to a to a large degree here but you know how do we make it funny how do we present that image in a different way that would catch your audiences and be genuinely funny you know you, you gotta make challenges for yourself and i think jamie looked at the director really did craft the challenge for himself because you're right it's not just simple hong kong buffoonery where they bring in a character called hmm, he was stone wong let's name him rock hard wong ah, 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 ah. <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. because they don't <laughs> uh they, they have a gag about his name but uh, it's not uh riffing on uh, the option and i i'm delighted that this focus seems to be present going into the movie. But but also, I think it's harder, Phil, to find uh, actors that can gel and riff and banter back and forth. Because if that doesn't work, it can fall very flat and not be funny at all. And here's a case, especially between the Michaels, uh, Michael Chow and Michael Wong. This needed to work. And if it doesn't, then you're in trouble. And 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 also, uh, I guess a final point for now. Uh, I don't know if you agree with this or not. I think egos needed to be thrown out of the window by actors going into this movie because um, they're going to make at least one real life poke at one of the actors a lot. <laughs> but the other is going to be fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Did did you feel the actors were game essentially? To uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I obviously got them on board. They they were told what they're getting into, and like I say, it's it's a it's just a lovely movie. It's a lovely, the, you know, the the script works so well. Uh, it's so great. Timing is is everything when you talk about this as well. But they they use everything to their advantage, and and certainly, obviously, Michael Wong and his his um, lack of understanding and. Um, knowledge of language just you know it's really like they've amassed a, a amassed almost a decade worth of michael wong yeah not, not impressions but impressions of his uh, weaknesses and strengths and knowing how capable he is in the language department because it's it's it comes off as he, he knows he's not uh fluent and we know so what can we do with that exactly that isn't wong jing cheapness you know no and he works really well as a character. And, and not mean-spirited as well. Right. Yeah, and, and it's great. And he, you know, he brings some of the best bits to it by doing that, by taking a disadvantage and making an advantage um, for this film and, and baking that in. It's very clever. It's very clever. I mean, he's even called Half-Breed two minutes into a movie. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe not meant as a, as a massively gleeful and uh, bad-tempered poke, but 
then again, I, I, I sense structure here in the movie and and the voiceover, which is real time voiceover, it's commentary over the movie. I, I think the movie was having fun with every time they call him half breed, Guaylo, Jerkser. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and even, you know, you, you focus on other performers because uh, Xing Fuyon is in this movie and he was, he, he had apparently a nickname uh, that was translated into like Big Stupid, Big Nose. And, not only does the voiceover call him good-looking, they uh, give him uh, a full-on English name. So do you remember his English name at this one? Would that be um, uh, a certain Keanu Reeves? Yep, he's called Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, they take the mic out of it. They're, they're right up front with it when they say stuff. It's like, what, really? Keanu Reeves, what? Because yep. he was the height of handsomeness in 1995 and still yeah. is. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Do I mean I've asked this before, but did it at all stand out the value of sync sound in this one? Because so much is uh, based on how the actors interact with each other. Uh, well, even more so, isn't it? Even more so because Michael's obviously fleeting between the two and stuff because of his lack of understanding. Which you know you've got the comedic beats that are well within there, so it worked perfectly, absolutely perfectly well in this film and stuff. And um, and, and more's and it's all the better for. For having that sync sound, 100%. Yeah, I, I have some other notes on it, but, but I wanted to also ask about the, the voiceover that isn't um, about uh, talking of things in a general way. It's it's the real-time commentary by Michael Chow's character, and they use that for comedy, they use that for clarification, uh, to, to clarify what Michael said wasn't correct, and he actually meant this instead. <laughs> uh, so how do you feel Jamie uses that tool of voiceover, which is always uh, a bit of a perilous... Uh, yeah, work. and it can be, and it can be in the wrong. But you, you know, when you get into this kind of film right from the beginning, and it's, um, it's, it's beautifully laid out, you know, structurally wise, and they, it just adds something to it. Sometimes they don't work those voiceovers, and they, they can dis- detract from like the character stuff. But in actual fact, in this case, it just works all the more um, for it, um, and enhances the film to a certain extent using that voiceover as well, because it can be used to great effect, and he, and he does do. Um, in this case, it's established well very early on yeah. when, when Michael Chow's Dick Chow, uh, where, when we see his introduction, he he's in bed and uh, he's apologizing to us that uh, the porn mag came into view, and then he removes that and he says, "Oh, there I am," <laughs> you know. And I, I like that; it's amusing uh, uh, because Michael then Chow then gets to reveal that. Um, he is a character that has let himself go a little bit because nothing happens at Taiho Island. Uh, <laughs> you don't necessarily need to wear your uniform, I suppose. Uh, you don't necessarily need to wear a shirt when you're in front of civilians. Uh, it's the second joy of this is the reveal that Michael Chow, and this is not a huge spoiler, is is a slob, but is not as wrong-headed in his thinking as you might think because he knows this island he knows that the pace of this means a different type of police work chill and slow down and eventually will will do something but not right now <laughs> how did you think because he's not a character an, act, an actor that you immediately associate boom comedy what did you think of uh, his uh, his uh, lack of ego? Because uh, he's clearly he's clearly a lot more fat than uh, than in other movies. Exactly, you get the character and the, what he portrays, and he, he he does it well because he that's the character you expect because the setting and the scene and nothing happens there and everything's you know 
Um, he doesn't have to worry about anything. He's a bit of a slob, and he sets that character and he sets the story like really well. But like you say, underneath that, oh, he, he understands the, you know, the pace uh, of the island. He understands the people. And he's, there's a little bit more to him than just that. You know, the slob that you you see in the the opening scene and stuff. But he plays it. He plays it really well because it goes with the the pace of the the film itself. So. Would you say, um, knowing Hong Kong comedies can be very broad and loud, how does this movie navigate comedy? Does it go for the broad, or is it more in the in the sometimes just calm, natural back and forth uh, between characters? It's, it's that, and, and that's what makes it so special. It, it, it is about the natural back and forth. It's not in your face and stuff. You know, they're telling a story, this, you know, even it's somewhat like uh, Agatha Christie kind of movie in the in respect of you know it's a murder mystery there's lots of suspects they're gonna find out who it is but they're gonna have fun we're gonna have fun with that to get to an actual fact the destination of the movie to find out who that is doesn't really you don't really care and like oh okay great okay well, that it is because you so enjoyed the journey to get there the destination wasn't really thought about you just know there is a destination in it but it's the to and fro of the characters which makes this film special to some degree it works so well perhaps that's a classic uh, agatha christie trope as well that everybody hated the murder victim so yeah, exactly. this is not going to be easy to and, that's, and that's the thing everybody hated him so therefore you've got everybody's a suspect so it's like ah, oh, okay that's interesting and hence why it just sprung into my to my head while i was watching it this is kind of like a murder mystery and stuff but just done with that um comedic kind of between characters and that back and forth so you know not in your face um, slapstick but just that nice interaction between characters and, and like I say everybody plays their part so well I think it's harder to do it this way I really do I do really do think it's harder to do it this way yeah of course it's and watching Michael you know uh, in the early stages because he, he gets drunk as he enters the island and we find out why because the movie is flashback structured too I can't tell because I don't know Cantonese but it's almost like Jamie the director favored the slight awkward acting by Michael as he drunkenly tries to speak Cantonese well enough and it's not working. It sounds like I'm gonna try. I can I'm looped up here, so I'm gonna try to speak Cantonese and it's not coming off as well as it should be. I mean he's drunk and he probably should just stick to English. And I've, to me feel that tuned direction mm. perfor- the performer, in this case Michael Wong, is entirely comfortable with uh, with this and he's also entirely comfortable with being made fun of yeah and i think that that's always been my most sort of cuddly memory with this movie that if he was precious i think he would have bowed out like scene three after having been called a half-breed and guaylo and jerk so like is this gonna go on for the entire movie uh yeah pretty much but there's a purpose to this uh that um he's gonna have to amend his ways a little bit as an SDU officer and an, and an inspector and Michael Chow is gonna be revealed to be more of a tuned insp- uh, police officer than you might think so I just hope but it comes off that way that Michael clearly understood his image and was happy to be made fun of because otherwise he wouldn't have come off as this they wouldn't have had as many jokes and he wouldn't have been so engaged as he is. Yeah. No, of course not. They really would have, like, say, seen three. Oh, no, I'm not having any more of this. You can cut all that out for a start. If, if there was any kind of that kind of ego going on or something, he would have been told right from the start, 
you know what? We're going to just take the piss out of you, out of you, Michael. You know, he's going to come, but we're going to, this is going to be funny. Everybody's going to be on board and stuff back and forth. You can play you. Um, and we're going to take the mic to, to a degree throughout the movie and stuff, but it's going to work because X, Y, and Z, and this is what the structure is. And, and he probably saw the script and thought, God, this is, this is really funny. This is really, and he would have, and it is, and it comes across and it works. And, and he so could have like been gone completely the other way and not, and just been an absolute disaster, but could have been really mean spirited too. Yeah, really. exactly. And could have come up, but he doesn't. It's the way it's so playful, and the characters are so playful. And you know, the, it's 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 yeah, it's lovely the way it's it's done. And everybody, as I say, has their parts to play. And there's nobody that really lets themselves down in their portrayal. They they all have their parts to play, and they play it really well. The, the, like the Danny Lee Stock Company, all rises to a challenge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they do. Because you, 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 you've seen tons of these people in uh, like Danny's own movies that he starred in, but the productions, the Magnum productions, but all of them really, really elevate uh, themselves. Especially Ricky Yee as Simon, the murder victim. Like you, you, you realize why well, no one, no one liked him because he's an absolute asshole and. Uh, <laughs> verging on dark but still obviously very funny uh, one of the best sort of confirmations and earliest confirmations that oh this is working is when the drunk Michael Wong Michael Chung and uh, Dick Chow are sparring uh, when they bring him in to to sleep it off and my- Michael goes off on Michael Chow you're a fat fucking Chinese pig you hear me you're yeah. a fat fucking <laughs> Chinese pig and 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 Dick Chow pulls in closer to him, like, say to me one more time. Yeah. One more time, right into the ear. You're a fat fucking boom. You know, lights out. <laughs> I love that because that that again we get the sync sound and you 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 think that's funny, you feel that's funny because they, they're getting the sort of frequency correct here of uh, the banter and the performers are gelling with each other. And uh, the, then when he is sober the day after and he starts to show off his authority and it's lovely how Xing Fuyon is like deadly afraid of him as soon as like stand attention yeah exactly <laughs> he goes, yes, sir. And, and for me it doesn't go over the top with the whole he doesn't speak Cantonese well he only speaks English no one no one understands him I think Jamie puts like the right amount of jokes in there because it's 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 lovely like when he re- when he lines them up the day after the police officers and he holds uh, court he does his stone wong talk and they all say yes sir and afterwards like did anyone understand that yeah did anyone understand what you're saying and, exactly, and the voiceover yeah. says like well the, well these uh my men understand the multiple m- multiple amount of languages and then the scene concludes and the voiceover comes in again except english <laughs> and that, that's just boom you did it movie you're on the right track to make this uh make this work yeah so uh, there, there, there's so many there's so many highlights to get, but also they, they don't get stuck in this field. They don't get stuck in Jerkser and uh, Guaylo. We don't understand it because there is a murder mystery to evolve and Dick Chow's character is going to show his police instincts and they're going to become a team. They, they're going to become buddies. <laughs> <laughs> no. That doesn't seem like a reasonable arc to a story. Oh, yes, it will be. It will be. But it's nice. I mean, the timing makes me re- return to the movie so frequently because sometimes you miss beats, like when Michael Chow turns up in his uniform and it doesn't fit anymore. Doesn't fit, like, yeah, what's exactly. this? 
<laughs> well, sir, I gained two or three pounds. What? I gained 20 or 30 pounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that boom, boom, boom beat exchange, that nature of the scene. I, I can't believe that's easy to get right, Phil. I see. I have said it before, but I'm going to say it again. I, I admire when such such things are clinched, when that feels correct, when the character chemistry and interaction and banter feels correct. And that can't be easy, right? There's different things that you kind of really work kind of well with this film and stuff. And some of it, there's got elongation of kind of the jokes that go on. So we, we talked about, obviously, Xing Fei on as well and stuff that um, rides over the victim at, at one point. And then he's deadly afraid that he's actually killed him. I think he's about half an hour in the movie and he still thinks he's killed him. They're doing the autopsy and stuff. And he's, he's funny. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, I've seen in films play the hard man and stuff. And then all of a sudden he's doing this comedic turn and he plays it really well. It's so, so, so well and stuff. And he's playing dual characters as well. Um, kind of in it. Um, yeah, he has, uh, kind of, he has to supplement his income. Let's yes, just say that. he has to supplement his income as well, which is brilliant. And it's like great just seeing this, you know, hard and performing. You'll see him in so many different roles, you know, shooting shooting everybody. Um, and then all of you see, you see him in this, just playing it perfectly. Perfectly. It's great the way he just bounces off them. Um, Thank God, Phil, the subtitles are as good as they are in this movie. Yes. Because uh, they oh, yes. managed to translate the word puns to us and maybe they were slightly easier but you know Cantonese is apparently a bitch to translate into English when you're dealing with word puns because Ma- Michael does d- does mishandle his Cantonese as a character at one point he lines up uh, the, he says like what well, look at you you're a pain's force and then the voiceover comes in what he meant was a discipline's force a discipline <laughs> force so he, he mishandles that and he talks of let's see the womb and and they say what? And then he says it again, and he says it correctly. He says he meant to say wound, and you can hear it if you listen to the Cantonese dialogue that he redid it. He said a similar word, a similar sound, and the subtitles catch that, and therefore we are included as persons who don't know Cantonese. And it could have been the kiss of death for the movie if this if it, if this was simply impossible to translate. But it seemingly they were able to translate into english where the point of uh, the 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 cantonese mix and not the proper cantonese pronunciation from michael chung is a comedic plot point and we are allowed to get that too and i think it's wonderful because you you forget that the voiceover is going to be there and all of a sudden dick chow comes in he meant wound and that's why it works so well because he just like i say just adds to it you know it can be distracting sometimes and not work but actually works for this film very well in those situations just adds adds to the film rather than taking anything away from it very um we're not going to spoil much else but it's a very cursy movie too which is uh joyous as uh more the stock company gets to have the little sequence the, the chase sequence of michael wong by james ha is hysterical because james <laughs> ha is a foul mouth motherfucker <laughs> yeah and he lets michael knows it like did you just say that to me like, get over here and that's the delightful point that the movie has in store for us as well that just because he comes from the city doesn't know that he knows best on Tayo in Tayo exactly and uh, I like that they gently introduce it and gently Michael Chow's character is not shown as incompetent that much throughout the movie he's he's chill and he has a right to be chill because he, he knows when to uh, 
launch into into action. And even when he does launch into action, he's kind of chill because yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah, Tai O, like it's Lantau Island. No, nothing ever happens here, but um, we'll, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, Margaret. Yeah, and you, you've got that, and the characters come across really well because obviously. Michael Wan's character is, you know, from from the city, the hustle and bustle, and he wants to get it done and stuff. And there's, you know, I think there's a point in the movie where he says to uh, Michael Shaw, you, you know, come on, let's let's go and, you know, speak to um, these suspects and stuff. And like Michael's like, no, I've finished for the day. I'm going there. I'm, I'm off. You know, <laughs> so, you know, I'm off duty. I've, I've finished. And he's like, Michael, Michael Wan's like, what? You know, we got to catch a killer here. What are you doing? Are you going home early and stuff? And he's like, well, yeah, no. I finished, uh, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm done for the day. He's like chilled and chilled out. You know, I'll come back to it tomorrow when I'm ready kind of thing. It, it's good. It's nice. The little the little back and forth that they have, it works really well. Yeah, and they always, um, he goes back to his brandy more times uh, than not. <laughs> yeah. He's a drinker, but um, apparently um, he, um, you know, even if this was the first case that the character ever got to handle on the island, he actually, he showed what instincts should be applied to a crime in Tayo. Yeah. And uh, that, that makes it delightful. Uh, I mean, t- towards the end, it sort of ventures into slightly darker territory that the movie I wasn't expecting out of the movie, but it, it, it doesn't derail it or anything. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't become Hong Kong schizophrenic in that regard. It's, you know. There is that scene does kind of take you by surprise because obviously it's quite, again, quite fluffy and joyful up to that point. And then it kind of, yeah, it's kind of hard hitting that scene and stuff and sets up, you know. The well, it did have a murder after all, so maybe maybe Jamie argued that. Uh, Reason know. behind it, and then he kind of tells, you know, off again, and it's like, mm, okay, that's that's it. But the, it does have that beat, that one beat in that goes, oh, okay. It's a very unusual um, Hong Kong film because I, I can't think of many that employ this focus on, again, character interaction, verbal banter that isn't about uh, throwing, you know, local puns, uh, mm. current current cultural uh, uh, cultural references uh, on us. But uh, this this uh, demonstration in character interaction in a light murder mystery is it's not that common. And uh, boy, did it get it get it uh, right. I mean, it doesn't need to be a physical guy for me to just piss myself with laughter it, it, it is the verbal back and forth like you're a fucking Chinese pig <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's great and uh, worthy of um, worthy of um, multiple Wong points if I were to decide uh, redesign the rules of this series but I'm not gonna because it, 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 <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's I'll full mark it's full mark so we can end it right now but um, yeah yeah very yeah. del- delightful movie. I knew of it via the Love HQ film review, bought the DVD, and this was like, oh my god, this worked like a charm. This worked like a charm. And uh, the, you know, where was this voice in the director? And uh, it's one of those uh, one in a once in a lifetime kind of things, and uh, well worth um, trying to track down. But it isn't easy, but it's well, well worth trying to track down. Yeah, so it's like I say, it is a delightful movie and um, quite. Possibly uh, my favourite Michael Wong performance so far that I've seen him in, I have to say. I, I think overall, I think it's one of my favourites because uh, of the fact that um, they went at him, but with his blessing, it seems mm, like uh, they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't trying to be immature about it and make fun of him because... Uh, you know, let, let's theorise again. Jamie sits down with Michael, tries to get his vibe if he's... Um, if he's aware of his cinematic image, if he's uh, too serious about it, if he's too stuffy and pretentious about it, then maybe he got a sense that, oh, no, he's not. 
he's a funny guy. He's uh, absolutely on board with uh, making fun of himself. So let's uh, let's try and make that funny and not uh, a one-time gag that we then make for ninety minutes. Uh, uh, and and uh, for some reason they, they they do get away with repetition of jokes. Of course, like the the jokes are is uh, never not funny because they, it, um, uh, Michael Charles says it under his breath almost. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it, at the end, it's it's uh, it, it's a term, it's an endearing term. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it's a it, it's a gem, and I really like it. So uh, it was nice to revisit it for me. It's uh, it, it it it's funny though. Uh, just a minor 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 cast note. Uh, Emily Kwan is in this movie. She was uh, part of the Danny Lee Stock Company. She, in the untold story, anyway was uh, depicted as the ugly one out of the cops and they make fun she has so small such small breasts and oh she's so ugly look at that woman is that an ugly woman it sure is not no uh, she's play, sure. she plays she uh, plays daisy or afa i don't know where they got that from it's the same sort of perplexing thing where sandra mm, for a while when she was more of a comedic actress mm. ugly and fat ugly and fat that's the only joke we know so we're gonna make it over and over again and she she was never she was game she wasn't ugly she wasn't fat nah so i don't know where this notion of emily kwan came from at least in the untold story that she she was ugly i mean yes she was game but uh, when we see her role here which is uh, the crucial role crucial role of daisy that's uh that's a, a be- beautiful looking young woman and, and a good actress too so yeah yeah and plays it really well like i said there's, there's nobody lets this feature film down and stuff and that's why it's so well from a from a casting point of view because everybody plays their roles and um, you know supports Michael in his film and just about nudges it from the other Michael. So um, absolutely wong on this one. Valerie Chow was quite funny as Michael's uh, uh, Michael Michael Chung's uh, girlfriend uh, Linda, a very quirky character who seems a bit too flirtatious for her own good. But uh, she she's fun to have around because she sort of clings to Michael like a magnet uh, and sits in on the interrogation. And she's there, and uh, it, it's funny to hear when they argue. Like Michael uses English in their arguments, and Valerie hits him back with English as well. <laughs> uh, which is funny. She, she she's on board with that switch, uh, switch uh, Cantonese and English switch. So every, 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 everybody brings something, which is uh, which is very fun, um, and uh, that's another lasting memory for me. So let's uh, let's uh, do some uh, brief availability here. It, this had a DVD. It, it was cropped to full screen, but it had optional subtitles. Uh, didn't look that great, but. For a cheap price, which it was back in the day, uh, do get it. Uh, but if you can track down the letterboxed and subtitled Laserdisc, I, I think that that's a better option. The, clears, uh, the print is very clear, looks very natural, and obviously it's in letterbox. And that it is somewhat pricey secondhand, but not terribly so if you really want the film. But uh, if you have a Laserdisc player and can find the disc, it's well worth it because it's um, it's a quality Laserdisc from, uh, from Star, I believe. So... And the subtitles are all visible, most of the film, and uh, you get the jokes and uh, all of that good stuff. But um, uh, I still wanted to include it despite being a little bit of an elusive film, because I think this is a key moment in Michael Wong's filmography that not a lot of people know about, actually, that uh, he was um, he was uh, up for this. And I like that. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, it took me by surprise because I, I wouldn't 
Um, I hadn't seen Michael in anything like this, so um, it was uh, it was a joy for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. joy. So uh, we are going to conclude this episode. We have uh, two more, one episode with two movies and a finale with three movies, but we haven't mapped out all of it uh, as such. Uh, we're going to hit Beast Cops uh, at one point uh, before we um, before we conclude this series, of course. Uh, key movie iconic movie for uh, for anthony wong and michael M- michael obviously can't rival anthony in that one but uh, he is part of what makes that movie tick and work as well as it does uh, beast cops and uh, that uh, i hope uh, that dvd is still with you if you um, purchased that back in the day the uk special edition of beast cops yep yep it's in my collection i can see it from here because i've got mine on a shelf i've, I've got mine stuffed in your ass, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look forward to it. Look forward to that. It'll be uh, beastie. Yeah. I know which bag it is in. I'm pointing at the bag right now. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's, this is it uh, for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening and continuing to enjoy this. Uh, to enjoy this uh, Michael Wong series. Uh, but do let us know. We would love any feedback uh, on the coverage. And... Uh, what you thought of the movie choices and all of that. So uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including contact information on socials and whatnot, go to podcastonfire.com and uh, all the relevant social media links and trailer links and what have you will be available in the show post connected to this episode. So that's me, Dom, and Phil, honorary co-producer, game podcasting man and uh, good man overall. You get the plug. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to say, look, we we were both Wong for this uh, episode, which is nice for a change. I don't think we've done that on two movies back to back. Um, It's it's wonderful. And um, thanks for having me again. You can find me at Eastern Film Fans. uh, If anybody wants to share, say, yeah, come and find me. I'm around. um, Come find me. I'm ready for you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready for you. And I look forward to the next episode. Hmm, Intriguing. So uh, maybe uh, maybe next episode uh, will, uh, in terms of opinions, maybe will be miles apart. Oh, ah. oh, oh, I see what you've done there. Boom! <laughs> Podcast, mic, drop, we out. My name is Kenny B. With me was Phil G. Say bye. <laughs> Goodbye.